Cause it's a skate day with my boys So let's go and make some noise Cause it's a skate day with my boys And everything's alright Yeah, everything's alright Ooh, just a song that I, I felt like uh, singing that I, uh, that I was thinking about earlier today because I'm skateboarding right now. <laughs> and I was like, what would be a fun skateboarding anthem to just sing to myself? <laughs> New song I'm working on called Skate Day, apparently. What's going on? Welcome to Jeremiah Wonders. Guys, what's up? Huh? Man. I, I got to say, guys, I had a very, very fun, special week. There's a couple things that happened that I want to share with you guys here in a second that made my week very good. I hope this week finds you well. I hope this is a great start to your day. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Whatever part of the day you're in, I hope it's going well for you. Steve Simone, wow, what a guest. He told some of... The coolest stories on this podcast. Wow. It's just, if you want to know more about the comedy store, if you're just a comedy fan in general, this episode is for you. It's a little bit different kind of episode than some of the other Jeremiah Wonders episodes. He, if you don't know Steve, he is a phenomenal comedian and storyteller. And whenever somebody is uh, as pro or advanced uh, in their trade of like storytelling or or whatever they do, I just kind of let them go and do their thing. So, you know, there's not a ton, ton of uh, call-ins. We had a few call-ins that were fun, but there's not maybe as many as some of the other episodes, but the stories are so freaking good on, on this episode. Uh, I can't wait for you to hear them. What's going on, guys? Let me share a little bit about my week. I'll try to get through this in- intro uh, as fast as possible. Some people say that these are too long, but you know what? <laughs> You're missing out on on some of the, some some great stuff if you fast forward this. <laughs> Losers, just kidding. I mean, you can do it's your life, man. Do what you do what you want to do. <laughs> it's your life, man. No, it's fine. I'm not offended. No, it's cool. It's great, man. Now you do you. Been doing uh, some great writing and uh, some editing with my boy Patty Reagan. Been uh, putting some pack, some writing packets together, and then uh, we also uh, were starting to edit some music videos. Very excited to update you guys with that. On Tuesday night, this happened, uh, and I'll try to be concise with this, but this is something very special that happened to me. Uh, so like over seven years ago, I was working full-time at Starbucks, okay? And... I was already doing comedy. I was going out every night, doing open mics, doing whatever shows I could get on. But, you know, just a comedian who's working a day job that I didn't want to be at. And one day, it's around Christmas time, I am dressed in a full elf costume at Starbucks, passing out free samples. Don't ask me why my boss was cool enough to uh, let me dress up. Maybe they thought I was slow. I don't know. I don't know what, but that's not a standard Starbucks thing where they allow the employees to dress up as things and then pass out free samples. But I had a cool boss. So I'm in a full elf costume, and Kevin Nealon and his wife walk into Starbucks. And whenever 
Kevin steps away and I just have a moment with his wife at the at like near the counter of the register. I go, hey, I don't want to bother Kevin, but uh, will you let him know? I, I love his work. I'm a big fan of his. And she's like, oh, that's so sweet. A couple minutes later, she walks Kevin over with her t- to introduce him to me. And they offered me tickets to his Laugh Factory show that night. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put you on the guest list. Uh, just let us know if you want to go. I'm like, absolutely, I'm there. So I took uh, my now wife, Maya, with me to the uh, Laugh Factory. And we had the best time. It was so cool. Um, and since moving to Los Angeles, I had wanted to do Kevin's show at the Laugh Factory. Because he the, the main thing that's cool about his show is not only... It's just a stand-up show, and it's like uh, some comedians testing out new material and stuff. He interviews them and riffs with them afterwards, and I just thought that that was like the coolest thing. So my wife and I saw that show like over seven years ago, and uh, I just basically, I just kept working, and you know, seven years later, uh, I did the show on Tuesday. I did that same show that I went and saw with my wife over seven years ago. And got to do it on my own terms. So I went from audience member to actually being on the stage and being a part of the show. So it was something that was, it was like a, you know, these little victories. It, it, like That's like a big thing to me. It's something that, that was super important to me, but it was, it was super special. And uh, I got to tell that, that story on stage to Kevin in front of the Laugh Factory audience. And it was, it was pretty cool, man. And then it's just a great week. Later that night, Hugh Jackman was one of the judges at Roast Battle. What the frick? Are you kidding me? Wolverine was one of the judges. I did a Wolverine act out where I had straws as my adamantium claws, and he freaking loved it. Hugh Jackman saw me do my faux Wolverine impression. (laughs) Waverine. So fun. And then on the 4th of July... My buddy Jeff Ross asked me to open for him at the San Diego County Fair. What? In front of a few thousand people, I had to follow fireworks. That's never happened. <laughs> then I go out, do my thing. Had a couple of people hit me up on Instagram afterwards that, that happened to be there. Like, I didn't know you were coming. I was like, I didn't know I was coming either. This is the coolest thing ever. So I want to say thank you uh, to Kevin Nealon and uh, Jeff Ross. Um and Brian Moses, uh, you know, special week of shows, guys. So just want to update you with some cool things. Let's get into the kindness challenge, guys. What do you say? I received this letter from a guy. Uh, basically, um, I, if you don't know what the kindness challenge is, I challenge you to do something nice for somebody who you know or something somebody who you don't know during the week. Um, just out of the, the kindness of your heart. And uh, this guy wrote me a letter. I don't know what he sounds like. I don't know what he looks like. So your pal Jeremiah, your boy Jeremiah, started to wonder what he would sound like. So I decided uh, I'm going to read the letter to you and what I think he might sound like. Here we go. Hi, Jeremiah. I'm a mailman in Stockton. Every day I see the same people that come from all different walks of life. I can see who's well off and who might need help. There's a woman on my route with four children. They seem like they're low income. One of the kids is about 12 to 14 years old. He's a nice kid. He's always outside riding his bike. 
I recently got married and was cleaning out my room and in my closet, I had an Xbox 360 and PS3. The 360 had about 30 games and the PS3 had maybe 20. I asked the mother and kid if it was okay if I gave it to them. Of course they said yes. The kid was stoked. The mom said he's been happy all week. Just wanted to share this story for the kindness challenge. Take care, homeboy. Thank you very much, Jose, for sharing that awesome kindness challenge letter. You can uh, hit him up on Instagram at bear underscore again 102. Tell him uh, good job. Keep that positivity going, guys. That's what it's all about. Yeah, he wasn't using his, his, his old video game system. He saw a kid that could get some enjoyment out of it. That's so cool. You, get, you hook that kid up. <laughs> Dude, you, that's a lot of games. 50 games and two systems? Man, that's freaking awesome, especially if that, that family's not well off. Like You have no idea how much that kind of stuff uh, affects people in a, a positive light whenever a stranger does something nice for them like that. I freaking love it. Steve Simone, actually, uh, he did a kind of challenge for me that I share on the podcast later. And uh, I, I almost got emotional a couple times on this podcast, on this episode with Steve. He, he told this story later on about Robin Williams that is just a beautiful story that I was like, wow, this is incredible. I was blown away by a lot of Steve's stories, and you guys will be too. I'm going to share some tour dates with you, and we'll get right into this episode. Before we do that, got to thank the sponsor of the show, at Bronx Born Pizza on social media. They're in Bend, Oregon. Every Wednesday, I come out with YouTube videos. That happens because Bronx Born Pizza hooked me up with the equipment to be able to do that. So thank you, Thomas Schiffer, over at Bronx Born Pizza. And if you're near Oregon, go to Bend, go to Bronx Born Pizza, grab a slice. Speedweed, at Speedweed, on Twitter. Gino. He's the man with the plan and that sticky, icky, green, green. You into marijuana? <laughs> He's your guy. Hit him up, boo. Okay. Joe's Pizza, at Joe's Pizza LA on Instagram. Yeah. Steve and I had some root beers and pizza on this podcast. It's freaking fun, dude. Let's get into these tour dates and start up this podcast. Tuesday, July 10th, Stand Up on the Spot is already sold out. Why did you wait so long to get tickets? I mean, the lineups have been insane lately. Eric Andre, Joe Rogan, Brendan Schaub, Chris Stefano, Megan Gailey, your boy Jeremiah Watkins. I mean, wow, what the? That's already sold out. Get tickets for next month. This is every second Tuesday of the month at the Comedy Store. You got to come see my baby. All improvised, all brand new, all off the top material. July 13th, Friday night, this week, come see me, Josh Myers, and Avery Pearson. We're doing our own show, Midnight Snack, at the New York Comedy Club. If you're in town for Skankfest, you don't have anything to do that Friday night, come to New York Comedy Club, Friday the 13th. Come celebrate with us. Let's get weird. I'll be playing sax, doing a lot of riffing with the crowd. It's going to be a blast. Skankfest, July 14th and 15th, this weekend as well, Saturday and Sunday. Come see us in Brooklyn. We're doing stand up on the spot. Kill Tony, the comedy jam. I'm doing stand up spots. It's going to be phenomenal. July 18th through 22nd, Las Vegas Laugh Factory. I'll be hosting out there. You can catch me do some shorter sets if you're around in that area. Hit me up. I'll try to get you on the guest list uh, if possible. And then, um, you know, the last week of July, I'm trying to get out to Montreal for Kill Tony. It's still up in the air. I don't know what's going on with that. 
but hopefully I can make that happen. August, I'll be in Cleveland, Indiana, Kentucky, and Nashville with Tony and Redman for Different Kill Tonys, as well as featuring for Tony Hinchcliffe on the road. Without further ado, guys, leave an iTunes review. <laughs> Do that. I haven't uh, plugged that in a while. Maybe get a t-shirt at jeremiahwatkins.tv slash shop. Whatever. Whatever you do, you're going to enjoy listening to this episode of Phenomenal Stories and Phenomenal Friendship with my pal, Steve Simone on Jeremiah Wonders. I don't know a better way to uh, to start a podcast than having root beers and pizza right before you get started. It's the greatest. It went, it went root beer, pizza, high five. Begin. Is it already started? It's already started. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> yeah, dude. That's great. Well, Thanks welcome. for having me, buddy. Oh, dude. I'm super excited to have you, man. Uh, yeah, you were uh, a guest that kept coming up uh, request-wise. People were like, get yeah, out of here. No, seriously. People kept being like, dude, you got to get Steve Simone on the Are podcast. Are you saying that just to make me feel better? Not at all. I've That's literally great. not told that to, other, to many other people. So. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, buddies. Yeah. Made it happen, guys. Uh, you just saw my uh, one of my... Um, Bill Murray books over there. Yeah. And uh, Steve said, do you, uh, have I ever told you the story of uh, when I met Bill Murray? And I go, no, but let's save for the podcast and let's start recording. So, so you want me to just tell I you I would it? love it. Yeah. Okay. It, this is the best. This is another reason to love New York. I think it was 2015, maybe 2016. One of those, two or three years ago in November. Um, I was honored to be part of the New York Comedy Festival. It was my first festival. And it's like a big deal, you know? Yeah. And I had just made my debut on Comedy Central and Gabriel Iglesias' show. And Gabriel was kind enough to say, look, they want me to do a show. I think we did, where do the Allman Brothers always used to play in New York? It's like some famous venue. It wasn't Radio City, but the other one. I don't know, some big, huge theater, right? Yeah. So Gabriel was like, we're going to do a stand-up revolution show in New York, part of the festival. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to New York with Gabriel. They're paying for me. They're giving me a hotel in Manhattan. And then Ari called me. And then Ari was like, are you coming to the festival? I was like, yeah. He goes, awesome. Let's do a, this is not happening. I'm like, even, I'm like, it's going to be the best week ever. So we get on the plane, we land in New York and I was supposed to meet Ari and like his agents, kind of like my friend, Justin and his whole, like his New York group, they were all having like a cool showbiz dinner and I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. But I wanted to see Ari. I hadn't seen him in like a year. Yeah. But so we land, we get into New York. Ari's already texting. I'm like, we're not, we just landed, dude. So I go to the hotel with Gabe and we're hanging out at the bar having laughs. And uh, we went and got pizza and I brought it back to the bar. And I'm like, New York is the best. So I'm like, this is already the greatest thing ever. Because the even stinky pizza in New York is pretty much better than the the elite pizza here. You know, it's like. It's a full letter grade better is what I'm saying. It's really solid. Across the board. Yeah. So uh, we had good, it wasn't the best pizza, but it was by LA standards. It was magnificent. I was so happy to be on the East Coast. It was warm. It was unseasonably warm. It felt like almost like a summer night without the humidity. Gabe was like, I'm wiped out. I'm going to bed. I'm like, no worries. I'm going to go meet Ari. He goes, tell him I said, what's up? And then we um, go to this cool kid hotel like, I don't know anything about, like, show busy places, you know what I mean? But I guess, like, there's hotels that have, like, fancy restaurants in them. Yeah. And, like, lounges and stuff. So it was one of those boutique hotels. All right, so I go to meet Ari and his crew, and I bring some of Gabe's crew with me. And we're standing outside on this little narrow street. 
like enjoying a warm night in November. It's like crazy. And we're like, this is the best. I'm like, I love New York. It's like 1.30 in the morning on a school night. And I'm like, I'm alive, right? <laughs> so uh, one of Gabe's managers, Jenny, is hanging out with us. And she's the sweetest, nicest person ever. And a cab pulls up. Like we all have like a little semicircle on a street that's probably about as wide as your apartment, this right here. Mm-hmm. So when a cab stops there, you see clearly see who gets out. And she goes, oh my God, that was Bill Murray. And we all froze for a second. She goes, guys, Bill Murray just walked into that hotel, the same cool kid hotel where Ari had dinner. So you know how like they teach you in acting class what's natural behavior? Do you know what I mean? Everybody sure. always acts stuff. You know what happened? Everybody paused. She goes, oh my God, Bill Murray just walked into that hotel. And everybody went and jumped right back into their conversations. Like it didn't happen. Like it was almost like we didn't want to deal with the consequences of making a choice. Yeah. Like just pretend it didn't happen. It would be like if Bigfoot walked by or yeah. you saw a ghost. If you, you would... don't address it, then maybe it didn't happen. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, I don't know what to do. So then about 15 seconds later, and we're, everybody's talking and she goes, guys, I'm not kidding. That was Bill Murray. So I look at Ari. I go, dude, we got to meet him. And he goes, yep. Yeah. Oh, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we all go in and it's kind of like the Michael Jackson beat it video where everybody's following me and Ari into the hotel <laughs> and Bill Murray's <laughs> back <laughs> is right where that wall is. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like a giant group of people being led by me and Ari. Like we had pipes like, we're going to go meet Bill Murray. We're going to go meet Bill Murray. All right. So he's right there and he's way taller than I thought. Bill Murray's like at least, yeah, I would say he's about 6'3". He's a big dude. Six is two, he really? Huge. Big guy, like broad, big dude. Like wow. A, like when you hear those stories about how he knocked out Chevy Chase backstage at Saturday Night Live in yeah. the 70s, I'm like, yeah, Bill Murray's a tough Irish guy from Chicago. He'll whip your ass, wow. right? Wow. Okay, so this is the best. It's like 1.30 in the morning and he's got his suitcase and he just has a look on his face, kind of like in Rushmore when he was on the diving board, where like, I'm going, this poor guy doesn't want to be bothered. But I go, it's my only chance to meet my ultimate comedy hero. So me and Ari are right there, and we're like, we got to do it, right? And he's like, what are we going to do? I go, we have to. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And now everybody's further away from me and Ari. So now me and Ari They're are losing all of their confidence. You're leaving uh, all of the friends behind. Yes. You're like, Ari, we got to push Yeah, yeah, forward. yeah. It's like approaching a really hot chick at a bar where people <laughs> yeah. are like, oh, I would totally make out with her. Go oh, talk yeah. to her. And you're like, well, well I noticed her uh, one thumb was bigger than the other. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to yeah, I'm gonna hold out wait for Miss Perfect. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So then we get like right there, and I look at Ari, and I'm like, let's do it. And I take the step, just like in Stripes. And Ari doesn't come with me. So now I'm pot committed. It's 1.30 in the morning and it's just, just Bill feel- Mary's back and me. But now I'm so close to his back because that one step, I'm breathing on his neck. He knows I'm there. So I'm like, I have to say, get it over with. And I was like, please, sweet Jesus, just inspire me. Not Because he also has a reputation like if you're not polite or if you're rude, he'll check you. And now it's 1.30 in the morning. And you can tell he doesn't want to be bothered. So I was just like, excuse me. And he turned around. and I'm like, that is Bill Murray. And he looked at me and, he, and I'm like, oh my God, excuse me. And he, Mr. Murray, uh, I just, I, I said, I just wanted to thank you for all the joy and laughter you brought into my To I said, Mr. Murray, I just want to thank you for all the joy and laughter you brought into my life and the lives of everybody in my family. So may God bless you and your family. Anyone? That's so kind. What's your name? I'm like, I'm Steve. And he shook my hand. He goes, you can call me Bill. Very nice to meet you, Steve. Have a pleasant evening. And I was like, 
good night, Mr. Mary. And I was like, oh my God. And I turned around and Ari was like, that was perfect. I can't believe that happened. That was amazing. And I'm like, I just met Bill Mary. So then we went and had beers at the bar. He's like, maybe we should go get Bill Mary, see if he wants a drink. And we did a circle and we couldn't find him and he was gone. But the funniest part of the story that I've never told on a podcast because it's too embarrassing. So like now I'm so cocky. I'm like, I've been in New York for four hours. I had pizza. I'm hanging out with Gabe. I get to see my boy Ari. We meet Bill Murray. We stayed up the entire night, walked walked from wherever we were down to Ari's place in the village because it was a warm night. Kimowitz from the stand is giving me all these food options. I'm like, New York is the most magical city in the world. And then uh, I did not have a good set when I opened up for Gabe because I wanted to tell the Bill Murray story because I was literally high for days. So I'm like, guys, I met Bill Murray in front of 2,000 people. And they're like, who cares? And I'm like, all right, try to spin it into a bit. All right, so it didn't go great. But then the next day, I was so excited because I'm like, killed New York, had a stinky set. But I'm like, I get to have another set with Ari in the Storyteller Show. And now I'm going to take a bus from New York to go visit my family in Philly. And you could take like these Bolt buses that are pretty nice that have Wi-Fi and stuff for like 10 bucks to get from New York to Philly. It would cost you more in tolls, right? So as I'm walking to the bus station place, it's like a crowded New York street, but where the buses are, it gets like a little more uh, desolate. So as I'm walking, I'm walking next to, I look right next to me on a random New York street. I'm like, oh my God, that's Steve Carell. He's wearing sunglasses <laughs> and me and Steve Carell were walking together kind of. And it's weird. I had, I've always seen people randomly on the streets in New York. It's one of the things that makes it awesome. It just happens. All right. So I'm walking, and now we're getting closer and closer, and there's less and less people. I'm like, I got to say something to Steve Carell. He's not Bill Murray, but he's another one of my heroes and like a notorious nice guy, and I love him. There's just something very lovable right. about him. So he's walking right next to me, and I'm like, How do, what do I say? I do, do I say the same thing? That's exactly what I was thinking. I go like this. I go, just, you know, use the Murray script, but, you know. You know, ad-lib, you know, improvise a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm yeah, like, because yeah. he's not Bill Murray, but he's right. still pretty good. Yeah, he's right? so cool. So yeah. I'm walking, and I go, excuse me? And he stops. I went, I just wanted to thank you. And he looked at me and he went, for what? It clearly wasn't Steve Carell. <laughs> it was not Steve Carell. It was just some guy that looked like Steve Carell. And he was like, for what? And I was like, think fast. And I said something stupid. And the guy got terrified and walked across the street. And I'm like, if you want, if you want to weird somebody out in New York, just thank them randomly. Especially in New York, everybody's like so direct on where they're yes. needing to go. And then exactly. <laughs> Oh dude, it was hilarious. It was so uncomfortable, but also kind of enjoyable. And then like, you're just like, hilarious. Hey buddy, uh, I just want to uh thank you. For what? And I was like, that is clearly uh, not that is clearly uh, not his voice. That is definitely not him because he had sunglasses and kind of looked like him. You just start like recognizing different celebrities all yeah. throughout New York the rest of your trip. The total, yeah, the total tourist thing. Yeah, yeah, it's the best. That's what, yeah. Anytime family visits or whatever, they're so wanting to see a celebrity. They're like, oh, "Is that?" I'm like, yes. "No, that's a, a random dude." Isn't that the weirdest thing though? Like how silly celebrity is, and it how really dumb. Is. It's like, who cares? Well, weird, I mean, people, Bill Murray's Bill Murray. Bill okay? Murray. Yeah. But even then, I, I just felt, I felt great that I was just able to thank him. Because that guy had a profound, I rewatched Meatballs last night. And that was the movie that made me want to be funny. Really? Yeah. And Bill Murray's just, uh, he's a special talent. He's a special person. <sighs> a couple of the movies that made me 
specifically that I remember like want to be funny were probably, I mean, Dumb and Dumber, Tommy Boy, uh-huh. and uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with Steve Martin and Michael Caine. Classics. Yeah. Like all of those, probably a big part of it is those made my dad like cackle. Yeah. You know what I mean? And whenever like... Farley talked about that. Yeah. That seeing Belushi make his dad laugh made him want to do it and in animal house all like part of the reason that like i why i love physical comedy so much i i've seen my mom laugh so hard watching belushi literally do that scene the funniest where thing. he is like have you ever seen it on the big screen no uh i saw it at new beverly uh-huh. they'll play it like once a year you go oh that guy's a star like i think that's the saddest thing about everybody watching everything at home and yeah. it's great and i love it and i'm guilty of it myself but I think movies, films are meant to be enjoyed on a big screen. And John Belushi in a big screen, I could see why. Uh, who directed that? Landis? John Landis was like, when he saw the talent John Belushi had, he was literally Xing out pages of dialogue because Belushi could communicate that with a look. And when you see it on the big screen, it's 10 times funnier. Yeah. It's just even funnier. Well, it's blown up, you know? Yeah, it's cute. It's uh, amazing. But to your point, I loved uh, Chris Farley. To me, is probably the funniest person of all time. Oh my goodness! Jim Carrey's a huge reason why I found my way to the comedy store. So we like the same. We like the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. What was yeah, you worked at the at the store for years? I mean, forever. Yeah. What was like? What was that? What's it like being somebody who has worked there? been a paid regular there for years mm-hmm. and really seen it at its lowest times compared to now it's kind of a, at a renaissance it's selling out most nights i've talked to some people that say this is like the hottest it's ever been that had that oh, like even ever more whoa like i would hear the stories like um i've been very blessed for the friends that i have and one of my earliest mentors was the dice man like andrew's a very sweet fun silly guy it's not like that persona that he, you know, became famous from. And I remember him telling me stories like when he was a door guy, he would follow Eddie Murphy. He would follow Richard Pryor. He would follow Robin Williams. And he was like, it was electric. And I ran into him about three weeks ago. He popped in on a Monday night. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it's electric again. And he goes, this is what it was like. Wow. It's really cool. I'm very grateful to just be a part of it. And to see it rise from the ashes like the Phoenix has been awesome and uh it it reminds me that god's real because mitzi in her last last year got to see it really again yeah you know she got to see it and she i i was her assistant 15 years ago and she knew this was going to happen she was like my current group of comics are the best i've ever had and she was like they'll bring it back wow and when you think about those guys those years that might have been like 2005 ish when she said that 2000 mm-hmm. but i was f- so afraid of her for years and convinced that she hated me but like from like three to 2008 ish when i think about the comedians that were being developed and they're all the guys that are ki- like you know you're talking about like sebastian bill burr chris delia whitney cummings mm-hmm. they were all people that nobody really knew then that are the best in the world right now joe yeah. diaz ari it's amazing it's the coolest thing I love comedy. I love, like, I don't need to make people laugh. Like, I, if I can just hang out and laugh, it's my favorite thing in the world. So to be there now with everybody else enjoying it and that electricity and that showbiz stuff and whatever, 
but just being in a circle in the parking lot and you're there and Hinchcliffe's breaking your balls and you guys are going, it's like the funnest <laughs> thing ever. It's a tree house for grownups. It's it, the absolute greatest. Yeah. I mean, it definitely feels like summer camp for sure. That's yeah. year round sometimes. Yeah. It's awesome. Just riffing in circles in the parking lot. and Yeah. yeah. And even when it was stinky, like the lean years, I remember Pauly Shore. Another mentor I was blessed with. Like people forget how big of a star that dude was. Oh yeah, legit movie star. That w- so I had a picture with uh, Polly that went up like a few years ago. Like for um, he was like walking by when we were doing like a roast battle promo or something, and um, that picture meant more to some of my family in the Midwest than some of anything that I've done out here. Oh yeah, they're like what. I remember touring with Paulie through the Midwest. It was uh, overwhelming. Like the guy's legitimately famous. And my favorite thing about being on the road was with Paulie was taking a shuttle straight from the airport back to the comedy store to tell the guys what it was like. <laughs> like I would have my suitcases. Go right back Go to right the right store. Go right back to the store. Dude, I think, you know what? I think we're actually getting a phone call right now. I think Paulie Shore is actually calling into the show right oh, now. Oh, cool. What's up, Polly? It's Steve. I heard you're talking about how I'm a star, bro. Yeah, th- thanks for letting me sell your t-shirts on the road and stuff, buddy. Yeah, bro. You didn't ever pocket any of the money, did you? No. Good. Because I would not. Oh. <laughs> hey, Steve. Yeah? I'm thinking about taking you on the road again. What do you think? Let's go. Let's go. This is honestly how my conversations with Paulie sound like, dude. Where I'm like, okay, sounds good. So what are you doing? I'm hanging out with Jeremiah. We're doing a podcast. Okay. Want me to tell him you said hi? Yeah. Jeremiah, Paulie says hi. I'm a big fan of yours, uh, Paulie. I, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, we, we say hi to each other every once in a while whenever I see you at the comedy store. Oh, I know who you are. I've been keeping tabs, bro. <laughs> All right. Um, well, you just heard that Steve was uh, talking about you, so you wanted to call in to the show? Yeah, bro. I just want to be a part of it, you know? Yeah, I mean, dude, we would love to have you on the podcast anytime if you, if you want to. Oh, you should do it. Jeremiah gives you pepperoni pizza and root beer. Are there chicks there? <laughs> it's right on, he lives on that same street you told me that where the, all the playmates lived. Uh, That's true. Right around here. Oh, yeah? Half used to have an apartment building around Oh, here. yeah, I remember. I did tell you that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'll let you guys get back to it, but it sounds like he has a good thing going, but maybe... Maybe tell him, like, he needs chicks there, too. Maybe you could get the weasel there a little easier. <laughs> love you, Polly. I'll, I'll tell Jeremiah to bring chicks for you. All right. Love you guys. Love Bye. you, too, buddy. <laughs> How cool was that? Polly Short just called Dude, in. Dude, I'm pretty pumped and psyched that uh, he got... I mean, I'm always blown away by the reach of this podcast, you know? International. That's something cool. You've been, uh, I did your podcast uh, a while ago and you've got a great podcast called Good Times with Steve Simone. Thanks, buddy. And uh, that's what's so cool about these podcasts is like the reach that uh, we get to interact with people like all over the world. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, 
I have to ask Fung Chow this, and I'm pretty because sometimes I live through things, and I go, "Did that really happen, or did I invent that to make my life more livable?" You know what I mean? Like, yeah. did that? Um, and because I brought Fung Chow to China the last time I went to China, and we were doing uh, a stand-up show like in the back room of a bar in some like Hangzhou or Suzhou, one of those cities, and there was a guy there. I'm almost certain this happened, who was in medical school from India who flew from India to China because he listens to my podcast and had seen my clips and wanted to meet me. Crazy. I think he's actually calling into the show right now. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, I, you know what? I'm having trouble reading his name on the caller ID, uh, but I think he's calling in to the show <laughs> <laughs> right now. Uh, hey, hello, uh, this is... Uh, Is, is this, is this I feel like is this I'm making a prank phone call and you won't let me hang up. <laughs> is, this one, is this one of Steve's fans that's calling in uh, that, that flew from India to China just to see him? Yes. I find him quite amusing. Wow, you sound very uh, regal. Yes. <laughs> I did not want people to think everybody in India doesn't sound regal. <laughs> now, you, do you come from a, uh, a a royal family? Is your uh, Mohinder, is that your name? That's kind of racist. My name's Mike. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, a white guy named Mike. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm glad to... Connection's good, so I can steal this phone a long it's, time. You know what? It's solid. <laughs> the, the The cellular <laughs> connection and the Wi-Fi in here is raging strong, so I'm really glad that we can keep you <laughs> on the line right now. I'll soon be Dr. Mike, but I had a fun time with Stephen Fung Chow there in China. Uh, now, the, were they were they uh, were they easy to talk to? I mean, you flew, you know, you know, easy to talk to. Steve wouldn't let me leave. I think he's probably kind of lonely, but doesn't let it on. <laughs> I just wanted to thank him for the laughs, but uh, you could kind of tell he didn't want me to leave. He had a certain sadness in his eyes that I picked up. <laughs> is that you uh, speaking uh, medically since <laughs> you're going to be a doctor? <laughs> or is that just a human connection thing that you saw? Uh, I would say a little bit of both. Okay, that's fair to say. And uh, how how is meeting Feng Chao? That guy's great. You can tell he wasn't lonely. He probably gets a lot of chicks. He's got a lot of Asian swagger. A lot of confidence with that guy. A lot of confidence. Well, Mike, uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know that uh, your minutes are are racking up by calling internationally right now. It's 3 o'clock in the morning here. i got to get back to studying. Okay. Take care, Jeremiah. Thanks for having my buddy Steve on the show. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Mike. So long, buddies. See ya. See you, buddy. Thanks for calling in. Wow. Uh, you got some really cool fans, man. Yeah. I will say that. Like, I'm very, my fans are honestly like really sweet, cool, fun yeah. people. Well, dude, I mean, that's, I mean, you put out like what you hopefully want, the kind of people that you want to attract yeah. to the show. Yeah. Like, I'll have like families come out. To me, that's my favorite. Like, when guys like in their late 20s through 50s bring their parents and stuff, and then you get to hang out with like moms bringing, baked treats or people inviting you over for dinner and stuff. It's the absolute best. That's awesome. 
Now you you said you worked with Mitzi as her personal assistant. Yeah. Do you have any stories that stick out to you or any like wild times? Because uh, it, it it's kind of interesting. Um, well, have you watched the show? I'm dying up here. At all? I saw two episodes last year. Couldn't get into it. Mm-hmm. I heard this season's it's even better. I want it to be a huge success because I love everybody on the show. Right. A bunch of our friends. Yeah. Like I have this thing, and I and I'm conscious of it, but I'm not going to change. Like if you're from my neighborhood or if you're from Philly, I'm going to root for you no matter what. If yeah. you're my family, yeah. if you're my friends, right or wrong, I'm always, I always have your back. So whenever my shows are, whenever my friends are in shows, I want them to be the number one hit in the world. I want all of my friends to ball. So, cause I, it makes me feel good. Oh, and, of course. And, and actually like, I guess maybe it's a reflection even of my own ego where I'm like, Oh, you don't think I'm cool. My friends on a show. Yeah. Right. You see that? And, um, so you worked with Mitzi a lot then. Yeah. I told this story on my podcast, but nobody listening probably saw it. But this is a true story because I know you're a Jim Carrey fan. Yeah. And I uh, that he was like a um, huge, huge reason why I came to the comedy store. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of my heroes in one way or another went through this store. But what made Jim special was not only was he a stand-up, but he also did the comedic acting thing. Yep. So uh, I took classes at Second City because of Bill Murray and Farley, and then I found my home at the comedy store. So uh, I would spend sometimes 12, 15 hours a day with Mitzi, and every once in a while stories would come out. And this story I like to share because it's it'll show you how um, – profound the effect she had on her, all of her comics because I went recently watched that Netflix documentary, Jim and Andy. I love that documentary. Okay. So in that documentary, they point out that how deep in the character Jim Carrey went to play Andy Kaufman, that essentially Jim no longer existed and he was either Andy Kaufman or Tony Clifton. All right. So Mitzi told me a story about when they were filming that movie at the comedy store. So, and Jim Carrey as Andy Kaufman is on the set, but he had no idea that Mitzi was, they were doing the main room scene. They were filming a scene in the main room and Mitzi's in the back. She's on like the, the couch is in the back by the mirror table, main room, green room. And when Jim walks in, he sees that she's there, kicked everybody out, shut down production. And they finally got to connect again. So Jim Carrey did not drop character for anybody other than Mitzi Shore. That's amazing. Amazing. And just to show you just the profound respect. Respect and love. You know? She signed his immigration papers from Canada. When he got that sitcom, The Duck Factory, uh, she threw the premiere party at her house. She had stories about Jim's dad and mom. Like, without Mitzi Shore, I don't know if we have a Jim Carrey. Yeah. That's the truth. I mean, there, dude, there's a lot of greats that... You know? Oh, everybody. Yeah. I mean, from Richard Pryor. I mean, there's my favorite, one of my favorite stories, my Robin Williams story about what Robin told me when he came back and did a benefit. Did you ever hear that story? No. This is another good one. Um, this was 2004, maybe. And the comedy store was in such dire need that they could not afford to put a roof on the building. Whoa. Like, what is that? Four stories? And we would have buckets in the original room whenever it rained. So it would leak all the way through. Buckets everywhere. Yeah. 
So yeah. I think a new roof was, I don't know, $100,000 or something ridiculous. Oh, at least. Yeah. yeah right? Especially for that kind of property. Yes. Yeah. Because the building's like 100 years old. Yeah. So uh, I was working for Pauly at the time. And he reached out to all the famous alums. He reached out to Letterman, Jim Carrey, Howie Mandel. Uh, I think Bill Maher even came back and did a show. I remember seeing Howie Mandel crush. So I know for sure he did a main room show. But, I mean, this was back when we, we, we had fax machines. That's how long ago this was. And I sent the fax to Robin's production office. And like three minutes later, eh, it's, uh, I just got a fax here. This is a... Uh, Robin Williams is, is it possible to speak to Polly? And we we're all like, it was like in Ghostbusters, we got one. So now I'm like, Polly, Robin Williams is on the phone. So now he's holding the phone out so I can hear him. We're, we're like two little kids, like, Robin Williams is on the phone. Robin Williams is on the phone. And biggest star in the world, but just had questions about the random character. Lenny the Chicken Man Schultz still come by the comedy store? Like, great, because he's just one of the guys. Yeah. It would be like, you know, us going. Yeah, who, who's all around still? Are yes. any of my guys that I know there? Well, like, whenever I come back, who am I going to expect to see? Exactly. And Robin would come back. I think this was his first time back. So maybe this was 2003. But I remember seeing them a few times after this. But the coolest thing about it was not only did he come back to do the benefit show, which was a big deal because I don't think he had done stand-up publicly in a long, long time. So everybody in Hollywood, all the agents and managers and publicists, everybody wanted to see this thing, Robin Williams Live in an intimate setting. And Robin knew that. And so he also knew that it was a benefit. So uh, what he did is he bought half the tickets. So then he could then comp all the industry wow. people. Wow. Okay. So I'm like, Robin Williams is awesome. Yeah. Does the show and goes into his own pocket. And this is what makes it even better. It was the, a glimmer of what the comedy store could be. Because at the time, the comedy store was a ghost town. No pun intended. And um, there were nights that there were so few people there, we wouldn't, we could not do a show because we needed four audience members to do a show. <sighs> so there were times where people were there for an hour and a half and we're waiting for two more people to show up. It was deserted. The Laugh Factory was a hot club. It was right before UCB blew up. Uh, the improv was was still doing okay, but comedy in general was dead. It was the rise of reality television. It was before podcasting and YouTube exploded stand-up comedy. So it was dead. And when comedy died, the comedy store was dead. Now that comedy is the best thing in the world, the comedy store is the best thing in the world. Does that make sense? That's how totally. intertwined they are. So Robin comes back, and there is a line down the block. And there are people, I remember this was funny because like two days earlier, there was a super hot chick and I had a beard and she was asking about Robin Williams tickets. And I go, it's all sold out. But my advice would be to show up the night of the show because you never know once we get the room set, they might be able to squeeze people in. So get here early, have cash and be in line. So that night I had shaved for the Robin Williams thing. I didn't want to look like an animal seating people. And the lady talked to me and she didn't know that it was me because I had shaved my beard like out of a movie. I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. Uh, Big shorty. who's now Beyonce's bodyguard, would come in and do fat t- security on what the show was called Fat Tuesday. Shorty's like, I don't know, 6'8", 500 pounds. He was so big that every, the whole everybody was literally out of line, like spilling out to the sidewalk. He didn't have to say a word. He was just on, texting his, on his two-way or whatever it was at the time. Didn't even look up, and he would just walk down the sidewalk texting, and people would literally get into line. And there's like the, that crazy electric energy and it was the first time I'd been around like show business stuff with like, I think there might've been security there for Robin. I don't remember. I remember just groups of people, publicists, you know, all those people that have like useless jobs that make everything that do seem important. Like Robin's got to get here in 10 minutes. Circle yeah. the jets. Like yeah. all those people. 
So everybody's like waiting for Robin and where's he going to come from? He's not returning the calls. Where's his parking? Like like publicists and managers and road managers and like a million people. And there's cones in the parking lot. I remember Sean Penn pulling into the parking lot and PJ, PJ, I was like, I wonder who's calling in now. I was like, what the phone I guess I guess Robin's calling in right now. One way call from heaven. Hello, uh, hello, this is Steve. Hey, Robin, what's going on, buddy? Hey, uh, just gonna tell you, uh, sorry, uh, uh, loving this story, uh, love it being, uh, uh, memorialized right now, and uh, I was gonna let you get right back into it. Thanks, Robin, love you, dude. Love you, right back to the story. So, uh, I remember PJ was working in the parking lot, and Sean Penn showed up, and this is how cool the comedy store is. Everybody cool's been there back when it was cool, because Sean Penn says this, he goes to PJ, who's working a lot, and he's like, yeah. And he goes, hey, man, uh, where do you recommend that I park? He goes, they're sold out next door. They're sold out down the street. Because if, if that's at 400, 800 people showed up to try to get in. Yeah. So then Sean Penn says this. PJ goes, well, you could park here. And Sean goes, nah, man, I know the rules. This parking lot's for comics only. How cool is that? Okay, so uh, you had heard all these stories about how cool the comedy store could be. Here was tangible proof. I put Billy Crystal and Spike Lee in the center booth. Jimmy Fallon was there, and I'm like, his head's even bigger than mine. He's got a jack-o'-lantern head. Um, and it's a, and I'm working the door, and uh, I'm getting tips, and it's fun, and everybody's – it's packed house. Uh, Danny, the sound guy, had to go get special lav mics for Robin because he didn't want one of these sticks. Yeah, and now we're this. just waiting for Robin Williams. And this guy just walks through the line wearing a hooded camouflage parker, pulls it down, and he goes, hey, how's it going? Pops behind the counter, knows exactly where he's going. It's Robin Williams. He was getting ready to – he left the comedy store the next day, went on a USO tour. Another reason to love that dude. Okay, so I had heard uh, – you know, there was rumors about Robin stealing jokes and all this negative stuff. Yeah. Robin Williams comes out. His lavalier mic doesn't work. Okay? And I'm like, well, that's the comedy store for you. You come back and do a benefit show. We can't even make what you need work. Like, perfect, perfect metaphor for what is the comedy store, right? So he takes it off and just is like, lets his theater training go. And his first line is, I've, I think it was this one he was trying to get the mic to work. His first line, he walked out on stage. He said, I've never been asked to do a benefit for a $20 million piece of real estate before. Boom. Then riffs on the mic not working, throws that off. No microphone does an hour off of everything that's going on in the room. Everything. And I remember somebody said something and uh, somebody was wearing a comedy store shirt, but they weren't a door guy. So Robin was like, the door guys are the ones paying the dues here. You don't, whatever. We're all like, one of us, one of us, loving it, right? He kills for an hour, and then he goes, well, I probably should get into some material and need to work out, and then did an hour of stuff. So he did a two-hour show without a mic and murdered, and it's so funny because we were just talking about how shorter is better for comedy, not when you're Robin Williams. Yeah. Everybody was leaning in, nodding, like, loving uh -huh, it, uh -huh. like creating joy. He was creating joy. So it um, was cathartic for me. Because I had probably been out here three or four years. I was complete. I was living in poverty. I was uh, completely depressed. I had no car. Uh, like everything just sucked in my life. But seeing the best in the world kill it like that in your home made you realize that you're not crazy for having these dreams. Okay. 
So at the end of the night, uh, Robbins has a party in that same green room of the main room. And I think Dean was the manager at the time. Maybe it was before Dean. But they didn't want to cut the door, guys, until Robin had left the building. So I'm in an empty main room just standing at the front by the curtains. And uh, they were like, "You might, uh, look, the Robin's party's wrapping up. And now all those crazy publicists, security managers, all these people, everybody's like, where's Robin? Because he was just in the back with his buddies. But now, like, all the hangers on and stuff are starting to get anxiety and make a big deal out of nothing. So they're like, Steve, you got to get on the stage. I'm like, why? They're like, what if somebody tries to get backstage again? I'm like, there's nobody in the main room. So this is about an hour after the show, and the main room's completely empty. And you know how cool of a feeling that is where you're like, an hour ago, this thing was alive. Oh, yeah. So now I'm just on an empty main room stage trying to process everything, my life, what am I doing? how cool of a night it was, how lucky I was to have left Philly and be a part, just part of something that cool. But also like, I don't know, doubt. it was surreal. It's the only way to describe it. So I'm just standing on the stage and the curtain opens and it's Robin Williams and he's right there. And it's me and Robin on an empty main room stage. And it's like that Bill Murray moment again, where you're like, you have to say something. So I was like, uh, Mr. Williams, and he smiled. And he you could just tell how nice he was. You felt it. And he went, call me Robin. I was like, okay, Mr. Robin Williams or something. You know, like, he was like, call me Robin. I was like, okay, Robin. And he was like, what's your name? And I'm like, oh, my name's Steve. Nice to meet you, Steve. Robin. And I'm like, oh. And I was like, Robin, I just wanted to thank you for doing this benefit for the comedy store. It was very kind to you. And then he smiled really big. And he went, Steve, I didn't do this for the comedy store. I did this for you and all the other young comics because the world needs this place. It's the only place in the world where a kid can show up with a dream and leave a movie star. So he said, I appreciate you thanking me, but if you really want to thank me, make me a promise right now. 15 years from now, when you're the biggest comedian in the world, you come back and do a benefit for the comedy store to make sure it's still going. What? That is the coolest story, the, man. The sweetest, kindest. Like, I think what it was is that he was probably such a sensitive guy and had been through it himself, obviously, that he could feel that maybe, as Roddy Piper used to call it, a rub. Like, I just needed something. And that was like a awesome. Yeah. It was like 25 years from now when you're the biggest star in the world. Because I guess you could tell he was about 25 years older than me or something. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. And it also put in the perspective of how important the comedy store is. Yeah. And just... Moments like that really put into, like, especially as like a younger comic or somebody who's like just been out here, the ups and downs, like anything is still possible. Yeah. You know? 100%. Because it's so. easy to get in ruts sometimes. Yeah. It's easy to like, to, to be like, things aren't going how I want them to be going. Yeah. And then you get these little reminders here and there, and sometimes huge reminders that are like, you're doing the right thing. Keep going down yeah, this path. Yeah. Like God puts, I, I would call them like freeway signs. Like yeah. you're driving, you go, Am I lost? And then you go, No, your dream is 100 miles away. And you keep on driving, you go, Oh, I must have got off the wrong exit. I don't know. Your dream's 70 miles away. And then what starts to happen for me was like, oh, I'm already living my dream. There is no destination. But when I was a vulnerable, younger person, uh, that meant the world to me. And even now, like I was telling this to somebody the other night, we, we don't realize the power we have to put joy into somebody's heart. And how like one compliment, 
I was talking to a younger comic that Tom Segura had given a compliment to, where Segura remembered his bit. Like, that's enough to let you starve for another six months because you're like, somebody I love and respect saw something in me. Yeah. And uh, I think we have to be really conscious of how we touch each other's lives. And that's why uh, I've always tried my best just to be kind because we forget how easy it is to forget what it was like to be a scared kid on that patio of the comedy store. You know, like we're, we're not only are you dealing with, did I make the right decision? I left my family and friends behind. Oh, I can't pay rent. I'm sleeping on a couch. They towed my car. I can't get it back. I lost my job. I have a parking ticket. I can't pay to get my car back. All of that crazy life stuff. Yeah, feeling like you might not belong there. Feeling like you might say the wrong thing exactly. if somebody does welcome on you over. Exactly, on top of everything else. Stuff. So. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, well, so, so be nice. Be nice. I mean, one. so this is uh, this is something just like nice that you did for me that was huge for me because you didn't know even, Steve didn't even know whenever he did this for me how broke I was as a comic and how like literally hungry I was. I was on the patio, mm-hmm. this is years ago. I don't and, remember. Yeah, um, and you're just like, hey buddy, are you hungry? You just asked me if I was hungry and I was like, I was so hungry. <laughs> I was so hungry. And I was like, yeah. Um, and uh, he's like, let's go get some pizza. I did that? Yeah. And 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 we walked down to uh, to Joe's, which we had. It's the best. Today Joe's is legit, legit good pizza. <laughs> yeah. When people go, oh, how's Joe's? I go, that's good pizza, great pizza in any neighborhood. And to have it in LA is a blessing. It's proof to me God's real. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can hang out at the comedy store and go get a slice. It's the best one too. Yeah. So we did that. So you took me down there and we literally got pizza and uh, you, you said, get whatever you want to drink. I got like a Coca-Cola or a root beer. And uh, we just sat and talked and uh, that like little thing that Steve did meant so much to me. And that's just like a great example of like, uh, I do this thing every week on this podcast called the kindness challenge mm. where I, I challenge uh, uh, the listeners to do something nice for somebody that's either a stranger or it can be somebody that you know uh, and to write into the show and share their stories. And oh, I'll, I love I'll, I'll share them on, on the podcast. That's awesome. So uh, yeah, that's like a perfect example of like something little that you can do for somebody that can meet, you don't even know what they're going through at the time. And that like, dude, know. that was years ago. And that's like something uh, out of the thousands of nice things that Steve does for people. It's like, it really impacts people. So it does. But, but you know what the coolest thing about like, cause I alluded to like, there was a time where my world was very dark. It was just, I was depressed, man. Like for years. And, um, I think it was cause I was so focused on myself. Now when you, like whenever you're going through depression and stuff, whenever you're out in public, was it still, were you still like the nice guy, Steve, that everybody like kind of knows? Yes now? and no. I do remember once, uh, it's another reason why I love Polly. Because there's Polly's persona, and then there's the real Polly that he rarely even shows to his friends. Like, I would get glimpses of it. And now, I've known him for 20 years, I get to see it more often. But he's a really sweet guy. And I remember once, during those years, when I was working for him, he took me out to lunch. He goes, hey, dude, we're going out to lunch today. He didn't make any... He didn't... It wasn't like, hey, we're going to go to lunch. I've been concerned about you. We're going to have an intervention. None of that. It was like, business as normal. Dude, let's go. And we go out to lunch and uh, we're eating and 
everything's normal. And then he dropped a hammer on me. He was like, what's going on? Like, what do you mean? He goes, your energy, man. You're, what, what's happening? He goes, do you need help? He was like, uh, this isn't you. Uh, I know you might think it's funny because there was that thing in comedy, right? Like when the darker you are and the more negative you are, there's a humor to it. And it's almost like you get rewarded for being a genius the more you hate everything. And uh, I had read an interview with Jim Carrey around the same time where he talked about um, why comedians sometimes like go crazy, like why Rodney Dangerfield was so bitter at the end and why George Carlin was so bitter at the end. And Jim was like, when you look at things comedically, you're looking for what's wrong. So when you point out what's wrong, you can laugh off of that. And he goes, what happens is when you train your brain over decades to constantly look for what's wrong, it collapses in on you. So then I read that when I was probably 29 or 30, and I went, okay, I can't live like that because I had already seen the effects of it in two or three short years. And I went, I'm going to start to look for what's right. So now I I started to look at my comedy as a, uh, a comedic gratitude list. Like the underlying message to all my comedy was like, isn't this awesome? Let's celebrate this. And that's my whole thing. I think we, it's so easy to get lost, uh, not enjoying life, I think. And I think that's an insult. And there were times where like, I would try to put on a brave face when I was going through the, and there were, honestly, there were times I was in a great mood and laughing, but like the circumstances of my life were so dark. And I think, I don't know if it's a chicken and an egg thing with, you know, positive thinking or whatever, but it just started to try to take the focus off myself and started to figure out, well, that's not really true. I was always trying to be nice and kind, but, uh, I thought I, I had, had to do it instead of sort of just like letting God do it for, through me. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. I think that was the big, like I was trying to be perfect and I broke under that. And it's almost like you were forcing it rather than like it, like letting it work through you and it being or, an organic yeah, thing. Yeah, I had to surrender to God is what happened. Yeah. Like I thought like maybe I could, um, that if I was perfect, I didn't, in a way, like I didn't need Jesus. I, does, everything gets religious with me and I hate to do that to people that don't want to hear it. But it was just, I had not, I had not really uh, had a mature version of faith yet. Yeah. You know, and. Well, whether it be Jesus or God or whether you believe in energy or what whatever you believe in, yeah. it's still relatable to a point where it, it can be, you have to turn yourself over at some point, like yeah. where, you know. Humility. Look, right. Let go of your ego. Yeah. Yep. It's the best. It really is the best. Did you grow up in a religious household? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy, fun, amazing. Like, did you see uh, Chris Pratt's speech on the MTV Music Awards? It's awesome. No. Uh-uh. Where he goes, we'd have a pot to piss in, but we had laughs. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, and we still have laughs. Yeah, a lot of laughs in my house. Yeah. My older brother, funniest person I've ever met. He would just break everybody's balls. It was like growing up with Eric Cartman in a Van Halen t-shirt. He was like this fat, (laughs) mean kid that would just hammer everybody's balls. That's great. It was great. Let's get into this next segment called Fanning Out. Fanning Out. Let's do it. Fanning Out. Questions from fans. I reached out to people on Instagram and Twitter and asked people if they could ask Steve Simone any question. What would it be? 
And uh, I've got a list here, so I'll have to get selective because we're, okay, I know we're getting close. Thanks for asking questions. <laughs> yeah, no, we had a that's lot of sweet. people who <laughs> were asking questions. Um, this is a great one um, from Twitter, at TMassMatt. What's your best memory of working with uh, slash befriending Rowdy Roddy Piper? Ooh. Okay. There's a lot involving wrestlers, but the first thing I thought of was the night I met his son and daughter at a coffee shop in Venice. Um, and they just told me stories of dad. Oh, from that perspective, it's yeah. got to be so special. Yeah, that was amazing. And I felt like I was part of the family that night. That's that was great. The best. That's so cool, man. And like, yeah, dad stories. And I remember one, like Ariel was like, uh, I don't know what happened, but he he has like his cute little daughter in the car. She's probably like six years old. He, he's like, okay, honey, uh, daddy's going to leave you in the car. And uh, if anybody comes near the car, just beep the horn and I'll come out and don't open the door for anybody but daddy. But I guess somebody had done something to him and Roddy went out and knocked, knocked a guy out with one shot and then came back. Hey, who wants ice cream? You know what I mean? <laughs> I remember her telling me that story and I remember Colt telling me a story where he was so happy to catch one of his little league games because he was always on the road. And Colt was only like five or six. And uh, and that was like not T-ball and not little league where parents pitched. So Roddy got to pitch to his son, and he kept on coming closer and closer off the mound and threw it underhand to him. Here's like the toughest guy in the world that just wanted to be so sweet with his little kid. Yeah, that was my favorite memory. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, this is from... Uh, at this is an interesting one going off of uh, the depressing yeah. uh, era at Matt uh, Wajtan on Twitter. What what's up, Matt? What's uh, the darkest thought you've had about yourself that we probably wouldn't guess? Oh, that I'm unworthy of forgiveness. Mm. I think that's very common. I want to turn that into comedy somehow. I think um, like all the misery in the world is our feelings of unworthiness. And it's so funny to me that you could be like, you're forgiven. I forgive you. The world can be great for you, but not for me. I really upset God with that one. There's no way God could forgive me. <laughs> and it's hysterical. It really is funny. But yeah, you, you uh, yeah. Uh, at Skeptic Cool X 333. Probably an RE fan. Maybe. Hey, Steve Simone, have you ever experienced anything paranormal? Seen any UFOs or yeah. ghosts? Ever played the Ouija? Never Ouija. I do not Dude, invite evil that in. freaks me out. I told my wife, I go, whenever we started dating, I go, one thing that I will not allow, like it's literally a deal breaker in yeah. the relationship, do not play with the Ouija board no. and do not ever bring one Don't into invite it in, a household. No. no. Will not do it. <sighs> Uh, but you've seen, you've had some paranormal experiences, anything at the comedy store or anything oh, yeah. in general? Yeah. 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 I try to explain them all away. Uh, one of the things Roddy used to love was I would take him on ghost tours. So like whenever his friends would come through, I would go over like little incidents and I remember a true story, uh, with him and, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan, as I was telling the story, the door just slammed shut and there was a hook in the door that had to be unhooked for it to close, but what? nobody touched it. I saw a UFO once, twice, but they're probably terrestrial. I'm not saying they were spaceships, Yeah, 
But uh, this was years and years ago. And it was before I even knew. I just started to listen to like Art Bell and Coast to Coast Radio. I lo- I still love all of that stuff. Because to me, it's like fairy tales for grownups. I love it. Love it. Um, and it was a crisp winter night. And I was at the top of the driveway at my parents' house. And something just like told me to look up. And all the way up at the tippy, tippy top, like where the stars are, I saw a star that was a triangle. And then I went, oh, there was three stars that were like triangles. And I'm like, that is weird. There are not stars. And then they started to make right turns in the sky and disappeared. And the coolest thing about that story was uh, a friend of mine who uh, is a former Marine, did like six combat tours, was in Afghanistan and he was a sergeant and his guys woke him up. And they had those binoculars and they saw something like that. And he said, Steve, it wasn't three different triangles. It was one triangle that had triangles in each corner because he saw something similar. I think it's, I think that was probably a military plane of some sort. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, I don't think it was like aliens. Um, And then, you know, Bianca, the waitress. Yeah. She loves UFOs too. Yeah. So we were talking about UFOs once. It was right after the China tour with Feng Chao. She was there to visit her brother. Right. So we got drinking beers and everybody's telling UFO stories. Then I'm back in LA for like two days and I'm hanging out by the pool during the day, midday time. And I go, maybe I should bring my phone in case I see a UFO. And then I'm like, please, you're never going to. And I was hanging out by the pool and I saw this thing that looked like it was Mylar balloons tied together, but it wasn't. So then I'm like, oh my God, what is that? And I think it was probably some sort of weather monitoring device or something. But I typed in a YouTube Sherman Oaks UFO and somebody else had captured it from a few years earlier. Oh, weird. It's a weird thing. I don't know what it is. I think both of those are definitely UFOs, but could definitely be explained Have away. you ever like went into rooms in the comedy store and felt like a presence like at any time where you're like, uh... When I first got to the comedy store, I used to pray for all the souls that might be trapped there. And I don't know if it was... Um, other comedians trying to give me the business or cause you know, when you're new and people want to do pranks and stuff, but earlier on there, I had felt yucky as like, I would call it the heebie jeebies a couple of times. And once chairs went tumbling, uh, another time I felt something walk by me and the lights popped off. Oh, Steve. It did. And there's the dice story about the Ouija board. Do you want to hear that one? We would love to hear it. That's a scary voice. Yes, it is. Uh, now I don't want to tell it. So <laughs> no, tell it, tell it. <laughs> no, I'll tell it later. I don't want to. Okay, all right. I got, yeah. We intimidated Steve. No. This is what happened. I was managing the comedy store. It's the summer of 2001. Uh, you know what I don't like about this podcast? I feel like I'm name dropping, but I'm not named. You're at the comedy store. No, you just no, no, become no. friends I'm, with I'm people. I'm specifically asking about the comedy store. And but you like, have we told to be the Bill very... Murray story. We told the yeah, Robin Williams yeah, stories. Yeah, but I also, I kind of pimped you into to telling those. I'm like, because uh, okay. like you organically were like, oh, like, did I ever tell you that? But like whenever like you saw my book laying out and I have an album of Robin, there's yeah. literally stuff around Steve. So he's not name dropping. He's being Just nice. hanging out telling stories. Hanging out telling stories. All right. So, uh. I was manager of the comedy store. I've worked every job there. You're a manager at the comedy store? Yeah. I didn't realize that, that you did that job too. Yeah, I, I started off on the phones th- within three months. Um, and I got my job on the phones because I was PAing on Paulie's movie. 
And I remember he saw me at three o'clock in the morning carrying a couch by myself. I was so pissed that nobody else was working. I was carrying a couch down a flight of steps and Paulie was walking up that he called me about four o'clock in the morning because that was the last thing we were doing for the day. And he said, dude, I'm going to get you a job at the store. He goes, you busted your ass. So uh, I, I, I do want to put this out there because I did an AMA on Reddit a few years ago and I, so I still get questions from young comics and my advice is work really hard, be nice and keep showing up because that's all I did. Okay, so I get my job answering phones. Three months later, they have to fire a manager for doing whippets. He went through all the whipped cream in the place. They're like, Steve shows up early. He's nice to everybody. <laughs> what is, the, you ever think about, like, what is the comedy store that that's an actual thing that somebody gets fired for there? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, they got into the whipped cream and uh, we got to fire him. Yep, all of it. Okay, so now I managed the club. I parked cars. That was my least favorite job. I bartended phones, door. I was Duncan's assistant when Duncan was the talent coordinator. I was Mitzi's assistant. I was Paulie's assistant. I drove the van. I did everything there. So I'm, I'm managing. I had put a picture up in the manager's office of Andrew Dice Clay because he was my comedy hero. Uh, before I even got to the comedy store, I cut an article out of the Philadelphia Daily News where Chris Rock, another comedy hero of mine, told a story about advice D Dice gave him before he went and shot Bring the Pain. And I always kept that with me. And Dice had told Chris Rock to go back and watch Rocky, my favorite movie of all time, and remind yourself of why you got into the business in the first place. And they talked about the conversation happening in, in front of a washer and dryer at the comedy store. And now here I am. My office is right outside that washer and dryer. Okay, so Dice had seen his picture on the wall, and then we became friends. Um, and I got to see the guy behind the persona, who was a really sweet guy. And then uh, he would hang out with me like he was a door guy. And then the one night, the only night I was ever in the club by myself, because Dice was like, I got to get home. And I'm like, you going to be all right? Yeah, because like, usually door guys and waitresses would hang out, you know, because like, it's an orphanage for grownups. But I guess maybe it's... I can't remember if it was when Dice would hang out in the manager's office, people would get intimidated and not because he's another guy. If he doesn't like you, he's going to let you know. it. Yeah. You know, so uh, maybe that was it. And I'm doing my paperwork and I would have to reconcile all the waitresses numbers, count to cash and make a drop. But Dice had to get home and he goes, you're going to be OK. I'm like, yeah. So I'm in the building for the first time. It dawns me the first time ever by myself. And it's probably two thirty in the morning. And Dice was not, he was gone moments, moments. Like I just felt the quiet of the building. You can hear the ice machine and it's an old building. So there's a lot of weird, lot unexplained of weird noises. and yes. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. So uh, probably three minutes later, right above me in the room above me, I've since explained it away in my brain that somebody was probably sleeping in there and moving a couch or something. But what it sounded like was the growl of a hellhound. Like a... Yeah, but really loud, and it shook the floor. So uh, what do you do? You go, did I really hear that? Did I not hear that? Let me call Dice. He just left. It'll be like he's still in the room with me, and I won't be as scared. So I go, hey, Andrew. And he goes, he could hear it in my voice. He goes, what happened? And he said it with panic, and that made me panic. I go, I don't know what happened. He goes, tell me. I go, uh... I think I heard the growl of a hellhound and he went, fuck the money. Leave the building now. Leave the building now. There's things I never told you. There's things I never told you. And I'm like, ah! so now I have to ask Dice and see if this was a goof he played on me. But the story he told me was. Uh, he, Because I was a huge Sam Kinison fan. 
Yeah. Like, I think Kinnison out of the gate maybe was the best stand-up ever, just in terms of uh, taking your life and being that vulnerable and taking your pain and turning it into something beautiful. Uh, out of the gate, Kinnison was great. So what I'm saying is I love all these guys. And uh, Andrew and Sam were best friends. Before they had their beef and he, he, the story, I don't know this, if, I don't even know if I'm remembering this right, but he said like, uh, Sam started to get darker and darker and started to experiment with drugs and the occult and above the main rooms, there's Danny's booth, you know, those back steps that go up to the yeah. sound booth and there's a closet up there and that area up there is supposed to be one of the most haunted parts of the building. So Sam wanted to play with a Ouija board there and it was Andrew and Sam and two other guys and the thing starts moving and everybody think it's comedians joking around and Sam starts asking questions. Now it starts spinning and then he asks the demon to present itself and Andrew said they all heard the growl of a hellhound from the other side of closet doors and it started to bang on the other side of a padlocked closet. So he said he pushed everybody out of the way, ran down the steps and ran home to Crestdale. That's how I remember the story. Okay. Yeah. And then the best ghost story I ever Steve, heard. Steve, get out of there. What are you doing? The best I ever heard uh, was I worked once with Tom Wilson with from, you know, Back to the Future. Biff from Back to the Future. Who's an unbelievable comic. Biff. He kills it. Dude, he's an amazing stand-up. Works yeah. completely clean and murders. Um, and he's also a Philly guy, so I love him even more. But he told me a story once. He was like, Stevie? The way I looked at it was this. He goes, I never had a problem because uh, uh, I figured if ghosts are real, then it's all real. God, Jesus, heaven, hell, all that. He's like, so everybody would talk about how haunted the main room was. So uh, my first night on the job working the door, I just walked in and challenged <laughs> I challenged the spirits. And I said, uh, if you mess with me, he dropped. He was like, if you mess with me, by the power of Christ, I'll send you straight to hell where you belong. And he goes, everybody else had incidences, but he never had a problem. I'm like, whoa, Biff bullied the ghost. <laughs> wow. And right as we're talking about all this stuff, the, inter- the interference and <laughs> the, first in, thing in, in the, in the I screen. I saw there's too much joy in your eyes, and then I looked out at your hands. I know. Yeah. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. No. That was just me fiddling with my headphone jack. Wait, it didn't That go- has nothing to do with the TV. I was fiddling with, I was literally playing nervously with my headphone. You didn't unplug it? I did not unplug it. Oh, wow. We unplugged it. You dick. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, um, hey, any pizza left? Uh, I know. Um, all right. I mean, there's. Uh, we got to get into this last segment, but uh, Andrew Themelis, our buddy, wanted. Oh, to, I love him. We. He What's up, ask, Andrew? He wanted to ask you uh, if you had to punch one cereal mascot slash commercial character in the face, which one would it be and why? Ooh. I, I guess the easy answer would be Toucan Sam because it's like an easier shot. You could try to work your hook. It could be the frog from Smacks. It could. Be. I love them all. They've all brought so much joy in my life. I'd feel bad. <laughs> I think that's why Themos wanted yeah. to ask you that question. And I'm like, I don't want to punch <laughs> any of them. They're all really nice and stuff. Come on, Steve. No. Punch one of them. I don't want to. This voice changer is like the worst thing I could do to Steve. I don't know why I keep doing it. <laughs> the squirm that he does whenever I do it is priceless. Let's get into this last segment, yeah. um, Sax Talk. Okay. Oh, sax Talk. 
You're going to share a story of any sexual encounter, and I'm going to play some sweet, sweet saxophone underneath. So whenever you're ready, go right ahead. Uh, I got it's. I think this covers what you're asking without making me embarrassed to tell it. Is that okay? Can I be creative? All right. So uh, it was like right after high school. I was in college, and I was uh, hanging out with my brother and his friends, and we're. Uh, and it was, I feel, I already feel like I see that. <laughs> I don't know if I should tell this story. I mean, this story is pretty funny, but it's not necessarily about doing it. Well, if it's about something. Like sex stuff. If it, uh, It's yeah. kind of like sex stuff, but it wasn't me doing it. That'll work. That's fine. I feel like I'm cheating you. Do you want something more? If you want to do something more direct, you can, but you can. What I was going to say was I was going to tell the story about the first time my brother saw a pimp. All right, cool. Does that kind of fit? Yeah, sure. All right, because I, my my younger brother's always been very book smart, and I've been like more street smart, more people reading skills. And the weird thing about brothers was when we were really little, we were best friends, but then it was like, I'm only, we're Irish twins. I'm like a year older almost a year older. And, uh, I was like, you can't hang out with my friends, your friend. Like he had his friends. I had my friends, but then we got old enough. We're all starting to hang out together. Does that make sense? So we're out doing a night of underage drinking in Philly and we're on a side street and I'm looking out for my brother cause I'm nervous that he's in the city and he doesn't know what's going on. So I'm watching out for him. And we're on a tiny cobble street I think it was in Center City near McGillan somewhere. And I just hear high heels clicking. And it's two prostitutes running full speed around the corner. And uh, I go, uh-oh, this is bad. So I get my brother and his friend. Like, I could see, I could anticipate the problem before there was a problem. So I shift across the street. Uh, a car comes ro- screaming around the corner and hits the brakes. Guy gets out. And I, my little brother's not paying attention. I'm like, Mark, get over here. And he goes... What? What? Are you, why are you being such a dick? I go, watch out. I go, watch out for that pimp. And my little brother goes, that's a pimp? Like that? Like he had seen a superhero? And as the pimp was mid-step, he was taking a, a car antenna off a parked car. And my little brother goes like this, that's a pimp? The guy stopped and looked at my brother and went like this, like, you're goddamn right. And then he took the uh, hanger uh the antenna off and the girl pulled out mace and tried to spray the pimp and he knocked it out of her hand and then he started to beat her with a antenna. So that's almost sex. It makes me, I don't know why I don't want to talk about sex. I mean, it's like that family guy, French toast. Yes. (laughs) French fries. Yes. French kissing. I don't know. These questions are weird. <laughs> I, I think I think that might be the most. Um, uh, uh, it might be the cleanest sex talk we've ever had. On Would the people show. really get into it and tell like details of like yeah, intimacy? We, I mean, Stevo talked about how his uh, like whenever he comes like uh, and it gets on the floor, his dog will eat his cum. So oh, yeah, he does that on stage. Yeah, he he he. This, it was the first time he told it on this podcast. Yeah, that's that's really disgusting. <laughs> you know what I mean, dude? Oh, you don't want to hear me talk about my dog eating my cum? Yeah, that's just. Ugh. I love Steve. 
just like so so pure of heart you're just like why why would anybody no no that's bad why are we i'm just gonna share a story of like you know somebody who's a professional who deals with sex and that's that's my that's my sex that was heartbreaking though and it was weird it was like are you doing that no i'm doing it here with my foot oh I, i don't know i must be doing it it's been happening lately i don't know is it the ghost I mean, I, I I think it happened in another episode, so I think there's some. Did you more. ever have a ghost experience at the comedy store? I felt once in the main room. Where I felt in the main it, room? Uh, just in the back of the main room. Yep, I know. Uh, I just felt a very very strange presence where on Mondays before. Kill Tony was in the main room. This was years ago now. This probably would have been five plus years ago. Yeah. There wasn't anything going on on Mondays in the main room. No. Sometimes there'd be a bringer show or something like that, you know. Uh, But I used to actually go in the main room and I would sit on the stool on the main room stage and I would just sit there. It's cool. And I just like think and I'd literally just take it in. I just like kind of like just be like, how cool is this? Mm. That I even like, and that I was even like, I'd been there for a couple of years that I could even go in there and not get in trouble, you know? Yeah. Because if you're some random comic, then they'll be like, what are you doing in here? Like, get out of here. Yeah. So there'd be people who'd kind of like walk by and be like, hey, Jeremiah. Be like, hey, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm Isn't just hanging out. Isn't that the out. best when you first start to feel comfortable and have friends at the store and yeah. people know your name? Yeah. Such a big it's deal. nice. Yeah. So uh, I used to just sit in there and just kind of think about like how many legends had touched the stage that I was sitting on. I literally look at the old marquees and it wasn't lit very well. And uh, some nights I would, um, it would be completely pitch black and it would just be, uh, you could go around the long way to go to the bathroom that uh, of the hall that connects between the original yes. room and the main room. Yes, 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 yes. So... I was going through the main room once and uh, I like started to like walk um, like around there and like I literally like stopped me like as I was like walking like it was complete darkness and I just felt this overwhelming like negative negative energy Mm -hmm. and I was like. I like like I froze for a second and then I I I like got out of there quickly like I bolted out of I there. I ran out of there once because of that. Yeah, you did like this really weird vibe that I was like, mm, this something's funky in here right yep. now, and I do not want to be a part of it. And yep. it was all dark and dingy, and I was like, this is something's going on. So that was like really the only time that I've I've felt. And then sometimes um, I had to uh, I've had to go up uh, the back stairs to the belly room where the uh, the offices used to be. Uh huh. And uh, there's a couple times where it was completely black back there. I had to try to go up to like Tommy's old office or something like that. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple times where he, like w- whenever I went up there, nobody was up there. And then like I just had to come back down the stairs and complete black with just like a phone, like a flashlight on yeah. my phone. And I felt like literally I started running down the stairs because I could feel, feel like it. something like weird was going on. Yeah. 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 But just f- weird feelings more like. It's amazing what we can pick up on. You knew we were there. 
Is that Mike from India again? <laughs> <laughs> Mike's calling back in from India. Yeah, dude. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for dude, this doing the, the podcast, best. man. Come back on Good Times because I'm doing like shorter versions where we just talk about what we're grateful for. Yeah. I think that's a great exercise for people. Yeah. Uh, so listen to uh, Steve's podcast, Good Times with Steve Simone. And is there anything else you want to plug before we get out of here? No, that's it, man. All right. Love you, buddy. Love you too. Oh.